What is it that people need the most? What is it? What is the absolute best and the most important thing that you can do for people who need the Savior and it's the, it's the best service that we could possibly do to people is explaining the Word of God. There is nothing better in all the world to do that will glorify God and, and making the Word of God understandable. So talking about the truth to people is when we're at our best. We're praying to the Lord and we're actually praying Scriptures and what is truth from there. That's when we're at our best. Because it's not about us at all. We totally take ourselves out of the picture. So the Word of God and giving meaning to it is what we are called to do or give to the lost. We're also to give it to the ones who are to be discipled, like new believers, and each other for encouragement. We need that. That's why we're here today, isn't it? We're here about the Word of God in every avenue, whether it be singing or just reading the Word, praying, preaching the Word of God. It's about salvation. It's about sanctification and everything pertaining to life and godliness in the Scriptures. It tells us what God thinks. That's really what we want to know. How does God think? And it's giving a, a, a world view that is different from the world view. It's a biblical world view. That understanding. That's why we hate it when we see unrighteousness. Because it is against the very Word of God. We know that because God has revealed that to us. So it is not a popular thing, the Word of God and the very view of God, but it's all about His purpose, His will, His plan. So there's nothing better to understand than the very Word of God and what God's plan is for the past, the present, the future. So, can you think of anything better? So that's what we do today. Right here. Every day we should be. But Our text today is really is one of the most favorite passages of many Christians. And I think there are probably quite a few here today that would probably put this text in as their favorite. Or one of the favorites. Top 10, top 20, top 100. This passage would probably be one of those. It's uh, one of those kind of things we are touched by because of the effect of it. You have two people walking together talking about things, talking about the things of God actually as they walk to their place that they're going to stay for the night. They're in kind of wondering what's going on. And they're kind of shaken by it all. They're confused. And up comes a stranger starts walking with them and uh, kind of gets their attention. But they don't recognize who he is. They have no idea. They have no clue. Starts asking them questions as they're walking along. And he starts leading them through the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. They still don't know who he is. But what he did is he told all that was foretold about the Messiah, his suffering, and the glory of his resurrection. So he he did that. Explained to them, and this is the best teacher ever. Never has there ever been a teacher like Christ. Never will be. And so they understood They became overjoyed about what they had just heard. It was just like there was a spark. And the Word of God came alive to them like it hadn't before. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen to them. These two men had been highly disappointed. They were dejected. 
They had great hope in this Messiah, this Jesus, if He's the Messiah. Their hopes were dashed. They're shocked. They don't know what to think during this time. They didn't understand why God had let them down. Didn't get that. Why would God do that? Do we ever think that way? Well, you see, Jesus had some important lessons to teach them and us about trusting in His own very Word. And what He does is when we trust Him, then He lets us see the living God and the living Word who was there with them all the time. See, if you trust the Word, Christ is with us right now. And He reveals Himself to us, doesn't He? And then we get a view that is different than the world. You see, what we've been told in Scripture is that the world is going to wax worse and worse. That's what the Scripture says. It's going to get worse. But it'll get a lot better. But see, the world today wants the best life right now. And they have their own views of it, the way that it's going to be. God has a different plan. That's the one we believe and treasure, isn't it? That gives us great hope. Why don't we uh, stand, turn to Luke 24... See, Tony, I just about forgot to turn this on. <laughs> they did this? Yes. What uh, translation do you use? This is New American Standard Version. Okay. Verse 13. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, just about seven miles from Jerusalem talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus Himself approached began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing them. And He said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? They stood still, looking, said, One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since those things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and He acted as though He were going farther. But they urged Him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? 
while He was explaining the Scriptures to us? Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us the Word. Thank You for giving us truth, which we absolutely know is right. Every word of it. Every word throughout all of Scripture. Thank You. And as we look at this Word today, may it also burn in our hearts that we know Christ a little more. In Your Son's name, Amen. Do some of you have uh, this as one of your favorites in Scripture that you like this? Let's turn our attention to the two men. You have two men. You have Jesus here. Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's a Sunday afternoon. It's the first day of the week. Of course, Jesus is resurrected. They don't know that. They are disciples. They are not part of the eleven, although they knew them very, very well. Very much acquainted with the eleven disciples. These are disciples. They are learners. And they were privy to all the things that had taken place that week, what the disciples had said this particular day, what the women had said. And uh, so we see that they are followers of the Lord. On the way to Emmaus, and you say, where's Emmaus at? Don't know. I can tell you, it's seven miles from Jerusalem. <laughs> it's not on your maps. We don't know the exact location, but we do know that it's very close to Jerusalem, and that would be considered kind of like um, suburbs, something like that, outside the big city. Uh They had probably been there for the Passover celebration. If they didn't live there, they're going to a place that they have been supplied to be able to live there. You know, all the influx of people coming from everywhere there to Jerusalem. It would have been impossible to get a hotel, wouldn't it? So their accommodation is is there if they came from out of town. So it says they're talking about all the things that had taken place in verse 14. All the things that had taken place. What's, what is that? Well, what else would they be talking about? Their Savior, the Lord, their Messiah, has been arrested, condemned, crucified, buried. That's the kind of things that happened. And then some people said they didn't see His body in the tomb. So, that's what they're talking about. That's at least a good seven miles worth of talk, isn't it? Or more. <laughs> they're discouraged. They're defeated. They're in despair. They're downcast. They have heard the testimony of the women about the empty tomb. They heard the angels tell them that He was alive. They... Uh, heard about the disciples. They maybe even heard Peter's story that as he walked into the tomb that there were the grave clothes just laying there. Jesus wasn't there. Well, they're very discouraged. They don't really believe the resurrection because they hadn't seen Him. So they hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. We know that. But Is he like a prophet, maybe? Uh, think down in um, tw- 21, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, which would be the Messiah. We were hoping that was him. They were almost positive. Now what are they thinking? A prophet at best, with a lot of power. They knew about his miracles. Spoke positively here, mighty indeed and word in the sight of all, sight of God, sight of all the people. They're downcast, they're beaten, they're sad. Third day, third day, they had heard that he's supposed to rise again. They hadn't seen him. Where's he at? 
wouldn't he be with these disciples? So they know that it must be that he hasn't arisen. And there are things here that point to the resurrection as we see all the details that they have told Jesus. But it made no impact at all on these men. And so they're utterly defeated. They're just throwing in the towel. That's it. That's what they're talking about as they go home or wherever they stay for the night. No hope. And this is typical of all the rest. It was typical of the disciples, wasn't it? The eleven. Because nobody believed in it. Even when the women told them that Peter and John ran to the tomb. Uh, But the eleven seemed to have stayed in Jerusalem. They're downcast. They're defeated. They're unbelieving about the resurrection also. Defeat, despair. That's the point of what these men are about. How could it turn out like this? You know, it was all the best that we had ahead of us here. They have a great need, don't they? They really do. They have a great need. And, and they had it the way that they thought it was going to be. They need to understand what the truth is and why this is happening. That's why Jesus appears to them in His grace. Don't you think a lot of Christians today are saying, why is it turning out like this? There's no hope. We're in despair. We're downcast. We're discouraged. No, we're not. (laughs) Amen. It's... and I don't take the, the daily news and you know apply it to everything that's in Scripture and say this this means this this means this. You get into trouble when you take something that is forecast ahead of time and and start interpreting it as this is exactly happening. But I can say it seems like things could be put in place for eventually Christ to come. And if it uh, is not in our time. It's okay. If it's in our time, it's okay. You know, uh, could be a lot of tough times a church will go through. Church can be strong at this time, or the church can be really weak. I think the body of Christ should be very strong. It's God's church. It's His. He knows what to do with it. We have a great need. Our need is is to understand Scripture and say, I know what's going on out there and we're all informed enough to not be stupid of what is happening. God has something in mind and everything is going to work out for good to those who are called according to His purpose. Those who love God. So we need to understand the truth, just like these guys did. I imagine they felt a lot worse than we do now. I thought he was the Messiah. They killed him, crucified him, buried him. This is it. It's all over. That's what's happening with these guys. With the eleven. So, Jesus, just in time, shows up. (laughs) He's always been there, but in a body is God now that is glorified. He wasn't there, and all of a sudden, boom, He's walking with these guys. Glorified body, but it's very human. No blazing, dazzling glory here. Just looking like any other man. They're not shocked about who he is or what he's what he's doing. They they don't know who he is. Matter of fact, to them he just seems like somebody that is not aware of things that's going on. And by the questions that he gives, you would have too. <laughs> uh, what does it say there in our uh, Luke twenty four passage? While they were talking and 
discussing in 15, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. will get to that in a second. And He said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? What are you guys talking about? They stood still looking and said, Anyway, are you all the one visiting Jerusalem and not knowing what's going on here? And he said, What things? <laughs> Isn't that great? He knows, he knows all things. He knows what they're talking about before he even got there, right? It says here, I think what's interesting, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Sometimes God, let me, let me correct that. Most of the time, God doesn't let us see visibly what is really going on. And we wonder, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? Show me what's happening. Show me the details here. He says, I am. <laughs> trust me, trust me. Look at and Luke 10.22 All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who as the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Like that? He's only going to show who He is to the very people that are His. And in a sense here, visibly, that's what's going on. He actually, on purpose, does not allow them to recognize who He is. Now, there have been a lot of stories saying, why wouldn't they recognize Him? They know Him. They're disciples. Some say, well, you know, they're walking towards the sun. And the sun is setting so they can't see Him. I don't believe that. You know, if you're walking, well, maybe they had social distancing six feet away and so, you know. Actually, I think it is, is that He made Himself in a way that was visible, but not looking like the way that He always looked. He could change His demeanor, face there, that they would not be able to recognize it. That's, that's the idea. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing it. The verb there is ekratunto. It wasn't that it was just because of their own inability or they don't have very good eyesight, but it was that they were prevented from recognizing Him by Him. Kept from it. Sometimes God restrains what we would really like to know until the proper time. So a lot of times we say, Why God? And He doesn't seem to answer. He is. But remember, it's always God's time in recognizing who He is. That's for salvation. And it can be through our daily walk. But the truth here is what it's all about. And that's really what He is really trying to show them here. And He will. He holds back the recognition until the time that He wanted to do it. And it's really, see this in a in a, today's vernacular, but I think it's really cool. <laughs> Sorry to use that term, lack of vocabulary there. But it, isn't it amazing what He does? It's almost like He's having a little enjoyment in this. Does Jesus enjoy life? He is joy, isn't He? And it's all good. So, He gives questions. As He so often does, He starts a conversation by asking them some questions. It gets the attention of them. It's a good way to approach people, isn't it? Just ask them, what do you think about this? Not even revealing what you already believe. You see where they're at? And then... You can give them your biblical world view after they've said, here's what I believe, 
Here's what I think. You want my opinion? <laughs> so he's, there it is, his questions. He presents a biblical truth. Presents a proof. They apparently didn't know anything about his suffering and death. Now isn't that odd? That's the heart of the Gospel, isn't it? Suffering. Death, burial, resurrection. They don't get it. That's the heart of the Gospel. Most people didn't. I have to wonder sometimes if the Lord really kind of prevented them from seeing all that it meant. It just shows humanists. Humanists can't believe God unless He shows them. But anyway, they had all the Scripture that they ever needed, more than enough, to show that He would die, be buried, rise again. It's God's plan. We see they're very selective in their belief of the Word of God. If you ask them, do you believe in the Word of God? Do you know what they would have said? There we go. Yes. Most evangelical Christians today, I think, would still, hopefully, say that. I'm not so sure about that even anymore. I know the other side, the liberals, don't even believe in it at all. And why they would even bother to meet, I have no idea. But a lot of people say they believe in the Word of God and when it comes to something that is so important, they just don't believe it. But, they're going to answer Jesus. And they had seen His life. They had walked with Him. They had seen the miracles. They had heard Him speak. It was amazing. They talked with Him. They had had a 24-7 experience with Him. Easily disciples would follow him for some length of time. So they know him very well. And they knew that he was here to please God. They knew that he was a holy man. Holy Messiah even for a while. His life was without spot or blemish. They seen his virtues. They saw the purity of Him. They were right. You know what the popular view was at that time? The populist view was that most of the people until, well, about the time of the arrest actually admired Him. They they would say, He's a good man. He's a great man of God. They would see Him as a prophet. A great prophet. They saw Him as powerful. This is real. And they saw what He did, what He said they heard, and there was no other way to see Him. That was the popular view of most of the people. Not the leaders, but most of the people had a good view of who Jesus was. A lot of things to learn yet. But they have the good view. It's funny how people can be turned around in a hurry, isn't it? People turn into sheeple. They go right along with what they're told and don't question it. And if you do question it, you'll get chastised for it. And they don't want to pay that cost, so they do whatever people tell them to do. And don't even think about anything, the science of it or anything else. And they go right along with it. Have you seen it in our time? Oh boy, have you ever. And you'll see it more and more. And that's why it's going to be difficult as a Christian. Because we're going to be doing and believing things that the rest of the world doesn't. And you're going to see a lot of people who identify as the church go right along with it. Gladly do it. True, right? So, they tell this stranger the story in a brief few words. They cannot comprehend how one who is like him be 
like the Messiah, and then all of a sudden that people hate him. They despise him. The leaders murder him. They can't comprehend how a man of God would allow that to happen. We can look back in hindsight and say, well, that's easy. It's written right here. (laughs) Well, they had it written too. But in the Old Testament, it's uh, without the New Testament, sometimes it's a little harder to understand, especially when we go in with human eyes and human ears, human understanding. But they all knew that this had been the week of the Passover. It's the third day after that now. But they all knew what the Passover sacrifice was about, didn't they? An innocent lamb is to be slaughtered for the people's sins. They all knew that. Matter of fact, there were daily sacrifices going on every day. And then you had the great one at the Passover, which was just celebrated. You offer an animal, and it's a substitute for really mankind, God's people. So this sacrifice pays a price for our forgiveness. They knew that. They knew that this was symbolic of that. That's what their whole system was about. The Lamb had to die. John the Baptist got it. Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. What's a Lamb for? To slaughter. So that we could be forgiven. Price paid. Messiah was going to be the final sacrifice. Oh, not really. Uh, Yeah. You see, redemption, they knew, had a price. Why didn't they get it together here? The price is paid by Messiah Himself. And they were shocked when the Messiah was executed. They're reflecting about the testimony of Mary Magdalene. She came back on that third day, that Sunday, And she had just seen the open grave. At that point in time, she didn't see anything else. She later talks to the Messiah, sees Him. The other women came back with a further report that they had seen the risen Christ along with then Mary Magdalene. It's just convincing proof to them that the whole thing is collapsed though. Because they can't believe these women. They can't believe this whole story. It's got to be an apparition. It's not really real though. Nobody has seen Him. That's what they're thinking. It's already late in the third day. The sun's going down as they're walking to their home. So there's part one. That's the men who are walking together. Now you see Jesus in His correction and instruction. Here's where we have the very source to understanding. Can you imagine walking and talking with Christ physically? And he starts opening up the Scripture and teaches it so that you understand it. Did they already have the Scripture? Yes! Had they read them before? Yes! Did they understand them? No! Because it, they went on to the other part. That sounds better. So... So that you know the things they said to him, you know the things, the things about Jesus of Nazarene is a prophet, mighty indeed, word, sight of all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he 
who is going to redeem Israel. He is the Redeemer, isn't He? He pays the price. Sets us free. Latrao. Indeed, besides all this, it's a third day since these things happen. I don't see any evidence. But also, some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. Did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And here's Jesus now. He's asking the questions, and now he starts his teaching. Good way to start out. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Foolish men. He says, you should have known. You were dull. That's the idea. Foolish. You're blind. You don't see the spiritual truth here. And... What blinds them is this amazing kingdom expectation. That's what's blinding them. The way that the kingdom ought to be brought in. And a lot of times we have better ideas, don't we, than the Lord Himself. The way that He ought to be doing things. And if we look at the Word, we go, oh, just follow that. It's a little better. But see, they're very selective. They believe truth. But it's selective truth. Now he's going to give them the full story. If you have the Scriptures, you are accountable to know what they teach. Do you have the Scriptures? Do you have a Bible? You are now accountable to know what all the Scriptures are saying. And you go, (laughs) I just... I hear it preached. But you're not going to get everything you need to know just by coming to church and Bible study. It's a lot of your own personal reading and understanding because you're getting to know the personal Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. You are accountable to what has been given to you. Did you know you're the most privileged Of all people in the world ever, nobody has access to Bibles like we do. I will tell you, one of these days, that very well may not be. Because freedom of speech, once it's taken, they'll take the Bibles and they'll burn them. They've been burning them in all these cities. I think up in Seattle and Portland and going on Chicago. They burn the Bibles. You've been seeing it on TV? On Fox News. Of course, not on the regular networks. They're not going to show you that. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing going on in those cities. Nothing. We're fine here. We don't need your help. Right? I bring in that just to show how, hey, okay, we're living in a real world. There are real things happening. And sometimes we kind of close our eyes or you know we hear about all over the world Christians living for Christ that don't even have Bibles because it's illegal they can't even worship so they go underground to worship God to get the word of God preached that's happening in most of the world we still live in what's called the free world There's a reason for that. We have been so blessed. We have the Bibles. We have all the commentaries, dictionaries, all the study sources we could ever, ever need. And a lot of the reform books have come back into print or put on internet, and you don't even have to pay a penny for it. It's free. I'm amazed. I remember whenever I was working at the store, there were certain books that were coming out written by Puritans. And they would cost you $100 to get. Because there were only very few of them out. They started printing them whenever there was demand for it. There was a lot of demand. And all of a sudden, they started putting it on the Internet. 
And it just shocked me. I go, this is amazing. We're getting stuff that people haven't had for years and now it's at our fingertips. Boom, like that. You got it. Amazed. Take advantage of those if you get a chance. I know um, I know one back there, Zach. He likes to read from old dead men. There's a reason for that. These guys are solid. Not that there aren't good, biblical, godly men here today, but you know where they get most of their thoughts? <laughs> from those guys back then. Anyway, I just wanted to make a point. We have Scripture, folks. If we have a lot of things to help us out, the more we know Christ, the more we will know and discern what is what in the world is going on. It's something that God has already told us. The world will wax worse and worse. You know, it started waxing worse and worse the very, very moment that He ascended into the heavens. Wax worse to worse to Israel, didn't it? But we're a lot closer than any of those guys. So, the closer you are to Him, the more that you can be discerning Scripture. You are accountable. I am accountable to know the Scripture. And we are like these men. If we don't examine it on our own, what does He call them? Foolish men and slow of heart. Were they believers? Yes. Can we be foolish and slow of heart? Can we be dull in our understanding of Christ? Absolutely. Why are we here to get out of our foolishness? (laughs) We all need the Word of God. That definitely means starting with me. I need to know Christ. I need to know His Word. When we do that, we have a good biblical world view. We're not dull. It was all of the Word. It wasn't that they didn't believe the Scripture, right? Foolish men, slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Plenty of it there. They didn't believe the part of the Scripture that they didn't know. (laughs) They didn't believe it because they didn't know it. Was it there? Yeah. They had selective information. What does the New Testament say in Timothy? Study to show thyself approved, rightly dividing the Word. That was just to pastors, right? No, it's to every one of us. Paul wrote that to Timothy, but Timothy then took that same thought and told it to the church. Jesus' Messiah was to suffer, to die, to be raised in glory. They didn't believe all of that. They didn't believe it. So here's where we get into the beauty. One of my favorite topics is called expounding the Scripture. Explaining the Scripture. Expository preaching. Is there anything better? As far as I'm concerned, that's all there is. We say, does everybody have to take a book of the Bible and then go verse by verse? Not necessarily. I really think that's the best way. But if somebody would be honest with the Scripture and take it apart for what it says and to even have to go back to the languages if we need to, explain what that one particular word means that can give us better understanding. That's all we want in it. I want to understand Christ better now than I did a year ago. That's growing in Christ, isn't it? Well, anyway, the whole truth is giving, given by the Messiah. All the prophets have spoken. Part of that verse is, uh, what is it? Uh, Verse 26, Was it not necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Why was it necessary? Because that was God's plan. To kill His Son? 
Does anybody understand that without the revealing of the Holy Spirit to you? No. To Gentiles, it's called what? Foolishness. To Jews, it's called what? A stumbling block. Nobody can understand why Jesus would suffer. Except His people. It's the plan of God. How do you miss that, guys? Jesus says, how did you miss this? Everybody missed it, apparently. So, how about Isaiah 53? This is easy. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Show me a Jew who has never read Isaiah 53, and I'll show you one who has never read Scripture. It was like at the top. This is a sparkling jewel to the Christian, shining in all of its glory. Isaiah 53. What's it about? Well, it's really the gospel story, but a lot of it is his death on the cross in explicit detail. Don't you get it? Don't you understand? So he begins with Moses, which writer the writer Moses is given credit for the first five books. The book of the law. The law, and then also he says the prophets. What is that? Everything that had been written down. The, the, the law... The Psalms, the Proverbs, the Wisdom Books, the Prophets, everything, it's a total package. And he said, I want you to listen. I'm going to exposit the Word of God to you. Now he doesn't say that, but that's really what he says here in the sense, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Wasn't it necessary? Wasn't He supposed to suffer? makes his point. You guys don't believe the suffering part. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them. He expounded. He exposited. He took what he stated and gave them scriptural proof. The things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, Obviously, he didn't have enough time. It's only seven miles. They get they get to the house, and then he's gone. So you know, he doesn't go through the Old Testament and give everything about him because he's threaded through there on every page. He's there, but he gives the ones that I think would be obvious. You say, "What are they, Dennis?" Well, He explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. I'll just give you a few. Some of them he might have used and some of them he may not have. But let's just go through some of those and let our hearts burn. Are you guys ready to have a burning heart? Genesis 3.15 And uh, I'll just say something and then you can wash it away. uh, It's about that burning heart. I'm not even... They didn't go to Sonic. Okay, now you just wash that away. That wasn't... Uh, that wasn't. Okay, now. We turn there, right? Genesis 3.15. And I, this is God speaking to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. The seed is the Messiah. This is called proto-evangelical. It's the first good news. He shall bruise you on the head. Oh! Hit somebody on the head. It means, I mean, this is like death. And you shall bruise him on the heel. You ever had a bruise on the heel, for instance. What do they call those? Stone bruises? They're a little bit uh, bothersome. You can still walk with them. They hurt a little bit, right? That's basically what... Compare the heel. Would you rather get hit in the head by a 2 by 4 or have a little stone bruise on your heel? Well, 
that's the difference. Christ is going to be in total control of all this. And uh, it starts right there. After there have been sin, they need a Savior. Right? Okay, now, we're going to move a little quicker now. Genesis 8. We'll just read 8, verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord, took every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to Himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I'll never again destroy every living thing as I have done. That was dealing with the flood. There was sacrifices. Sacrifices. The whole system is built upon sacrifice. There has to be something that takes the place of human sin. Exodus 12, it's about the Passover. Quickly, really, you have a lamb. Choose it on the 10th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan, you kill it. Sacrifice it. Take it to the temple and your sins are covered for the year. But every day that has to be done. Burnt offerings. But the people... It's about animal sacrifice pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, Christ. Uh, Deuteronomy 18. This is the law. This is Moses... In verse 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, Moses, and I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Daniel 9. These are just some things about the Messiah. As we go into the prophets here. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're turning to Daniel while you're in, uh, let's go to Psalms. Um, you have your Psalm 2. Uh, basically, let's save some time. Verse 7, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Tells about him being the king, the Messiah, right? That's just a prophecy about him in the Psalms. Go to Psalm 22 now. It's about his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 1. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. Verse 7. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him because He delights in Him. Verse uh, 12, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Uh Uh-oh, Zach, I'm sorry about reading that text there. The the bulls and and the cows and the experiences that you've had. But that's like what people are sometimes around the Messiah. Yeah, okay, that fit in, didn't it? Good to help but bring that in. Sorry about that. You were pretty bruised up, but it was... And your mom, basically on, on the heel or on, on the foot. Basically. Yeah. Not in the head. Verse 13, They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. Verse 16, For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Oh, details. 17, I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. 18, they divide my garments among them. You know, Jesus could have used this Psalm 22 on them, couldn't He? Good hell, I don't know. Psalm 50, verse 6. And the heavens declare His righteousness for God. Uh, 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 Isaiah, guys. Yeah, thanks. Sorry about that. I definitely meant Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. Imagine the pain there. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Details. Details. 
Um, Psalm 69.4. We know about Isaiah 53, right? Wait. Yeah, Psalm 69.4. Went to Isaiah. Now I'm back to Psalms. I'm getting myself confused. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. They hate without a cause. They wanted to destroy Him. They really couldn't do it, could they? Crucified Him, didn't destroy Him. Zechariah 12.10 Back near the end of the prophets. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on Me whom they pierced. And they will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over Him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Yeah, we could go on and on, couldn't we? Could those have been some of the ones that he used? Could have many more that he could have used? Well, here's the recognition now. Let's go back to Luke. We'll close this out. This is where the beautiful part comes in. From 28 through 32. Now, he's explained to them what those passages meant. Are they still getting this suffering and death? They haven't yet. But I'll tell you what, they're listening to every word that he's saying and they're going, hmm, this is wonderful. So they approach the village. He acted like he was going to just keep on walking. So what did they do? They invite him in. Stay with us. It's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. Boy, what an evening they would have had just listening to him teach in the home there. So he went in to stay with them. He acted like he's going to stay. When he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and blessing it began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Here's the basis for the change in them. They go from heartbreak to heartburn. A good heartburn. The Scriptures were taught and the Scriptures were caught. They responded to truth. When you understand the Word of God, it all starts to make sense. All your faith is anchored in reality. Faith is not blind faith, but it's in something that is real. It's reality. And it produces a profound joy. Do you have joy when you discover truths in Scripture? Yes, you do. To understand the Scripture is to know intellectually or is it to know God? To know God. That's what it is. This is what the Scripture says. This is what it is. And it was during the breaking of the bread where the identity of the stranger now comes to them. It was made known to them. And this is a delight. They spoke of the burning in their hearts produced by the Lord's teaching of the Scriptures. The effect of linking the revelation of the Word of God with communing with Him, the Lord's table. Some of the Reformers used to call that Word and sacrament. And I know that sounds like a negative term. It sounds Romanish. But really, it's talking about something sacred. The Word of God, which now we understand, we get to feel, 
get to express that joy, to have understanding of what the Word is. And we express that at the Lord's table. The two go hand in hand. The Word of God, communion with His people and God, the Lord's table. It's a prototype. These men just had joy at that time. It was really a prototype of heaven and the joy that is produced and really is awaiting at the return of Christ. Yes. Can you imagine as Jesus broke the bread and He prayed that something is very familiar here? Familiarity in what He has just done. Wonder what that prayer sounded like. It says here their eyes were open. The reason they recognized Jesus was because their eyes were opened. Their blindness was removed. It was the work of the Spirit of God who came in and convinced the men of the meaning of the Scripture. Do you see why now expository preaching is a must? It is the center of our worship. You can't ever take the Word of God and remove it and have some little, maybe a reading of a Scripture and then go, no, it must be explained, expounded so that people will understand. Not that you come up with some really big words and something that sounds, oh, that's really cool. What did it mean? I don't know, really. But he was a really good speaker. What difference does it make? That was worthless. Well, the Word of God was brought to understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit and the meaning was there. And now they were enabled to see Christ. Were not our hearts burning within us? And then, He just vanished out of sight. They thought He's going to stay the night. He's gone. He was, where, where did He go? <laughs> you know, they didn't even go to the bathroom. They were right there. You know, He's not here. He was there. He's not here. That's what resurrection bodies do. Jesus did it. That's what will happen with us. Now, we can still eat. Did He eat? Drink? Yep. He does it later. Resurrection bodies will be able to do that. But they won't need to do that. And they appear and disappear. Great travel. Don't have to worry about the price of gasoline anymore. <laughs> Scripture. You know what the greatest service is that you can do to anybody? Explain the Scripture. There is nothing. Absolutely nothing better that you can give people than the Word of God and explain what it means. That's what we do. It produces what? A burning heart. Joy. Overwhelming. Overpowering. These guys probably jumped up from the table. I don't think it took any time at all. And there it is getting dark. It's already dark. And they go right straight to Jerusalem to do what? To tell people that He's risen. We didn't believe it before. We didn't believe what you said. We do now. We saw Him and He he opened up the Scripture to us. Wow. Declared that He was alive. You see, the two disciples desperately needed what? The Word of God. We desperately need the Word of God. We desperately need it. And all men need it. Very few have it or want it Very few. But we have it. They need the Spirit of God also to understand the truth, the Word of God. The living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit we need it of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart we need it 
There's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. The Word of God. It's living, active. It does a work in us. And that's the greatest joy. I can't think of anything better to do than just get around people and discuss the Word of God and to tell what it means and what we are then to do with it. Let's pray. Father, great, holy, mighty God, the God who has revealed Yourself through the person of Christ. We have it through the Word of God. And through the Spirit of God, we know who You are. We want to know You better. And we want to know how to live in the times that we live in so that we can glorify You and honor You for the world around us needs Your Word desperately. They need Your Spirit so they can understand this Word that it is absolute truth. Thank You, Lord, for this time that we've had to worship You and glorify You now as we continue on in our worship that these symbols can mean something to us as the church has celebrated for 2,000 years. In Jesus' name, Amen. What we have here is the Lord's Supper. And they really...